there's not a magic pill that all of a sudden you know cures all ills and so the health journey is something that each individual personally has to do right you can't let something stupid take you down if it's preventable You're listening to Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay, a podcast that empowers financial brand marketing, sales and leadership teams to maximize their digital growth potential by generating 10 times more loans and deposits. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insights series, where James Robert Lay interviews the industry's top marketing, sales, and fintech leaders, sharing practical wisdom to exponentially elevate you and your team. Let's get into the show. Greetings and hello. I am James Robert Lay and welcome to episode 295 of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series and I'm excited to welcome Steve Swanson to the show. Steve is the Executive Vice President of Sales, Revenue and Marketing at Velocity Solutions who provides digital technology to help community financial brands, community banks and credit unions drive more revenue and better serve their customers, better serve their members. And today, Steve and I are going to dive into what I see as an untapped opportunity for new revenue, for new growth, found at the intersection of something that both Steve and I are very passionate about, financial well-being, physical well-being, mental well-being. And we're doing this to guide you, dear listener, so that you can continue to maximize growth at your bank, at your credit union, or at your fintech. Welcome to the show, Steve. It is great to share time with you today. Uh James, I appreciate it. I know uh, it took us a couple of months to get the schedule worked out and uh, appreciate the patience and, and super happy to be here. All good things come to those who wait is a great lesson that I learned from my wife. And I am grateful that we were able to get this, get this call, get this podcast coordinated, because I think this is a timely subject, definitely for today, but also looking ahead towards the future. And before we get too deep into you know, the connection of financial well-being, physical well-being, mental well-being. What's good in your world right now, personally or professionally? It's your pick to start on a positive note. The question I ask my kids every day, right? What was the good thing today? You know, I was I was happy as anybody to flip the calendar into 2023. Uh, 2022 was, was a challenge, right? We got through COVID. We kind of felt like we were out of COVID. But from a business standpoint, 2022 seemed to be a bit of a... Uh, a drag, but we have hit 23 all systems go, and I can't believe we're eight days away, nine days away from the end of Q1 2023. It's uh, it's great to see the activity in our space. Yes. Um, you know, there's some unfortunate things happening, but there's opportunities, um, you know, for our bank and, and credit union clients out there in the space. And, uh, you know, we are, we are running on all systems go now. So super excited about uh, what we've done this year and the rest of this year. I think that's a great point. There are some unfortunate things that are happening. It can be easy to get stuck and stew on that. But you shared something that I want to dive deeper into because it's it's an important point. You ask your kids every day, what's good? What's positive? What's been going well? Why do you do that? And why is that important? So, you know, it's easy to get drugged down a rabbit hole by by what we have access to now in the mm. palm of our hands. And, uh, you know, I look, I was a journalism major and even, even back when they used to chisel the newspaper on, on rock, um, <laughs> you know, 
sen- sensationalism sold, right? And yeah. uh, and and now sensationalism is just much more easier to access, and 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 sensationalism is typically built on fear. And so, if you let yourself succumb to the messages that are now just bombarding at you, um, you know, you'll have a tendency to to walk around perhaps with a uh, you know glass glasses half empty, pessimistic attitude, and and you know the battle starts with the attitude that you bring to the table and and uh yeah that's what i try and instill in my kids every single day and and certainly in in our team here uh at work as well it's interesting i have facilitated that same exercise with with my four kids that are now 12 to 8 and 6 even to the point to where if i don't ask them at dinner tell me one good thing about your day they now are like dad are you can ask me about my day and it's it's, I think, helping to form the mind to look for the good, to look for the positive. And I can tell you, you know, spending 20 plus years in marketing, um, one of the my greatest growth levers, if you will, was really making a commitment. And this came from reading the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss years ago. Turn off the news. Um, if it's really news, it's really going to find you. And that's where I want to I want to hijack this podcast for a bit. I know it's the Banking on Digital Growth podcast, but for just a moment, we're going to transform it into the Banking on Health uh, podcast because you posted on LinkedIn recently about living to 100, and it caught my eye. Um, I actually have a personal goal to live to be 156. I don't think it's hyperbole anymore. And I know people who are listening, hearing this for the first time, think either A, I'm crazy, or B, why would I want to live that long? I love life. I love being around people and creating and collaborating. And I do think with all of the changes and really the exponential changes in technology, in health, we have the potential to push it far beyond what we could before. And so that's where I just want to, like, what what took you personally down this path to set a goal, to live to 100, to really put your health first? Yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's a subject that, that uh, I'm passionate about. And, you know, again, a, a quick rewind back to the college days. I can remember Adam vehemently, um, a college biology professor. And, and again, you know, this is back in the late 80s, early 90s. And so no real crystal ball into the future. But stating clearly in that class, if you can make it to 2043, and I honestly have no idea why she picked 2043, but if you can make it to 2043, in some level of relative health, you will essentially be able to prolong your life indefinitely from that point onward. That was her future cast on on science, medicine, technology, and health. And shoot, here we are kind of at that halfway point in that, a little more than halfway since she said that. And and it certainly looks like, you know, there's there's some, some validity into that statement. And, um, but like a lot of people, as you age a little bit, uh, be it maturity or your own mortality sneaks in, you start thinking about like, what do I have to do to prolong things? What do I have to do to, to be around for kids, grandkids, great grandkids, uh, experience all of these events. And, and so it was really that thought track as my own kids are, are getting older um, and starting to look to, to leave is like, what can I personally do to do that? And so that was really the beginning of, of my quest. Um, 
know, the exercise part was always there, but but I got to the point that I, I couldn't out exercise my fork. And and I say that, you know, tongue in cheek, but um, like a lot of the folks in this space, we're we're traveling, you know, three plus weeks out of the month, we're on airplanes, we're we're in hotels, we're entertaining. Um, and so you have to come up with a process and, you know, both starting your day on a positive mindset is a habit. And so it became trying to identify what habits do we have to encounter? What habits do we have to engage in and, and, and habits stack on top of each other um, to really try and optimize the, the health for, for me as an individual and, uh, and then certainly be able to talk about it with, with others. That's a great point about habit stacking. This is something that James Clear wrote about in Atomic Habits. And I think about the connection here between financial well-being and physical well-being. Um, I have now started to clean up. And I think it's 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 a journey, right? It, it takes a level of awareness. Like, I, I want to do this and here's why I want to do this. And being very intentional then about the the actions, the choices, the decisions, and and those become behaviors that are repeated, that become habits that either move us closer towards that future that we're looking to create or further away from it. But if we go all the way back in, it's really the beliefs that we have um, here. And when you think about like what I'm doing now with tracking my macros, um, I've had a point of awareness. I'm like, oh, this isn't hard work. This is actually kind of fun because I know that I need to eat you know, X number of grams of protein, X number of grams of carbs, X number of grams of fat. And that's my daily budget. It's kind of like money. And I've started to gamify some of this, which is where I'm starting to look like, ah, where can we connect these dots between physical well-being, financial well-being, mental well-being? And before we get too far into that, thinking about your own journey, like you said, you're traveling, entertaining, uh, you can't outwork your fork. How might the health of our physical bodies impact our mental health, which then you're a leader, I'm a leader, we have a lot of leaders listening to this around the world. How does their mental health then go on to impact the health of our teams and our organizations, particularly when we're going through a period of time of exponential change, exponential transformation? This is exactly the path that that I that I encountered, and not necessarily purposefully, but but a lot of the kind of the questions became new doors that that I that I walked through. Um, you know, for me, it was at first identifying personally what did I need to do to try and improve my physical health, and, and a big part of it was was cutting out alcohol, uh, and I did that completely uh, towards the end of of two thousand and nineteen. Um, you know, and as a uh, as a fast forward, that immediately created some clarity around things. Um, it, it immediately created better sleep, which then uh, allows for better mood disposition, <laughs> uh, which creates greater motivation, um, which creates greater self-awareness, which creates the willingness to then engage more physically. Which then when you carry that into your work day and as a leader of teams or departments or companies, you come at it from a completely different yes. mindset, right? And so it's, it's, it's all of that physical transformation that I, that I underwent initially from a, uh, 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 
you know, a combination of extrinsic and intrinsic motivation. I wasn't quite sure what, what, why it started. Um, but you realize that intrinsically now it's carried over into all of these other aspects of your life because of just physically how you feel both, both physically and, and mentally. I want to pause on this idea of just talking about alcohol. It's a very interesting subject. Um, I think you might have even posted recently about LinkedIn on this and your own personal experience here. I would say I'm gaining a sense of awareness that I actually use an app on my phone. And I started this last year because I was just curious of how much alcohol am I consuming? Once again, traveling, you know, events, cocktails, etc. Um, I use an app called Drink Control, and I was like, "Wow, I, I'm drinking way more than I had thought that I was." Number one, and then number two, I would say, as I've started to dial in these different areas of my own personal, physical health and well-being, I'm realizing that the less I drink, the better I feel. Back to your point about sleep, mental clarity, physical energy, and now I'm able to transfer all of that energy back into helping other people do even better things than what I was able to help them do before. When it comes to this point of, and, and maybe it's I'm just talking from curiosity, call it sober curious. I've seen people you know use that term before. What was that experience like for you to dial in that area of life? Because I think, you know, knowing how much you travel, I travel, a lot of opportunities to have a cocktail and then, you know, we forget about how we're going to feel the next day when we wake up. And I'm starting to realize, like, it's not worth it anymore for me personally to, to feel that bad in the morning, even if it's a drink or two. Yeah, no, that was kind of the enlightenment for myself was, was kind of the, the the cause and effect or the or the ROI, if you will, on yeah. you know the uh, the the value prop on drinking um, seemed like a very short lived kind of immediate gratification. Um, you know that 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 first drink, that first sip, either you know when you get to the airport at the end of a busy day at a business meeting, there's a little bit of an immediate you know euphoric dopamine rush. Um, but, uh, but that wears pretty quickly. And then, you know, the older you get, the longer it takes your body to, to, to process, you know, the physical aspects of, of alcohol. And so then mm -hmm. the next day, you know, call it 10 AM, 11 AM, you're still kind of, you know, turning off some of those effects and, and, and you've lost 10, 20, 30% of your day and your productivity. And, and so, you know, they talk, they talk a lot about if you read a lot of sober curious or, or what they call uh, quit lit quit literature um, around drinking. They talk about this pink cloud effect and it certainly happened for me is that, you know, somewhere around day 60 to day 90, kind of this pink euphoric cloud started appearing and you're like, oh my God, this is like the euphoria, right? I'm, I'm, I'm in Camelot here because you hadn't experienced that level of clarity. You hadn't experienced that level of engagement or motivation for, you know, if you've been drinking and I'm not talking like heavy problematic drinking, but just, you know, daily or almost a daily drink for the last 10, 20, 30 years, you haven't had yeah. that level of clarity in a long time. And then all of a sudden it reappears and you think it's a new phenomenon. Um, 
and uh, and a lot of people kind of get hooked on that. They call it the pink cloud effect. Well, you know that does fade away because your new normal becomes your normal, right. and uh, and and then you realize, you know, why would I go back to the point where you track stuff and and once you start tracking the opposite of what you talked about, now start tracking the amount of calories you're not consuming. Talk about the money you're not spending. Um, yes. and things start kind of really coming in the, in the shape and, and you can get fired up about what you can do with that time and, and effort. Just like people feel stressed about money, we understand digital growth can also feel confusing, frustrating, and overwhelming. But it doesn't have to feel this way for you because you can join the Digital Growth University to gain clarity through education, to overcome the fear of the unknown. Build your team's courage with a growth strategy to eliminate the fear of change and increase your confidence with coaching to remove the fear of failure. Visit digitalgrowth.com university to apply. That's an interesting point. I think about, you know, tracking macros now and it almost forced the near elimination for me of alcohol because it's like, why would I want to drink these empty calories that I can't hit, hit my macro goals. And, uh, and then it, that then dovetails into, you know, eating out my wife and I, we're both, we both live in Houston, you and I, and there's a, we love to eat my wife and I, but we've noticed since we've started cleaning up that area of our life, we're not spending as much money going out to eat because it's a, it, it hits the macro budget, if you will. And I, I want to come back to a point you, you, you mentioned about like short term, gains um, because that's that's another connection with financial well-being physical well-being um, it can sometimes feel like we're playing a longer game um, requiring discipline to give up things in the short term in the present moment for an even greater future return and I think that's where the paradox is if you know we give up the pleasure in the present moment um, to, to have the potential to experience that longer term gain but on the other hand it feels like we're focused on you know that the pain of the present moment based upon what we're giving up um, to you know have an unknown future when I think about this in regards to just leadership particularly leading financial brands What's your recommendation for leaders that are focused on the short term versus really keeping mindful of the longer term ramifications of their decisions that they make today going out into the to the future? Yeah, so it's there's a bit of a there's a bit of a paradigm, right? Because you have to leaders, CEOs, um, they they have to appease the immediacy of. Of, of stockholders, board of directors, account holders, members, whatever it is, they, they, those, those people have to be happy immediately. And, and we've evolved into this immediate gratification, instant gratification you know, universe that, that we live in. And, and, and that's a real thing. You can't achieve that by what I like to call chasing the flavor of the week. Right? You can't just constantly be working with your head on a swivel and, and chase the next flavor of the week versus the following flavor of the week. And that's true whether it's uh, a marketing strategy, you know, kind of a, a governance strategy. It, you, you can't constantly just chase that flavor of the week. Now, that's different than adapting and changing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's part of, of, of kind of the contingency of, of business. But so you, to me, um, either internally with our group or, or what we kind of preach with our, with our client base out there is 
you got to build the foundation and this has to be a time and tenured effort that you're engaging in and so you have to be committed to waiting for the results and delayed gratification or yes. delayed problem solving um you know be it three six twelve months from now um you're not gonna you're not gonna get there overnight you're gonna make small improvements um but the outcome will be uh you know at some point in the future and you you can't dump this strategy um you know a month from now to chase the new hot item that's a big part of the philosophy that I teach and coach to financial brands and their leadership teams is measuring progress, not perfection. Because I think if we're always focused on that future horizon line, the closer that we get to the horizon line, the horizon line continues to move. It's almost like, you know, thinking about driving the car with the kids, they keep asking, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Um, where in reality, we can hack the mind to a degree. And instead of looking at where we still have to go, we can really increase momentum by focusing on the progress that we've made, which comes back to the attitude of gratitude that you're talking about. It's like, ah, well, look at where we've come over the last week, the last month, the last quarter, and look at all the progress that we've made. And I think a lot of times we get so busy that we don't simply pause and reflect on what we've actually have done. What, what, what's your take on that? Yeah, so it's, you know, as a, as a leader, uh, myself of a team, and, and again, as I try and put myself in the shoes of the people we serve as CEOs of, of financial institutions, and, and perhaps insight that comes with, with, uh, with age and maturity, there is no finish line, yeah. um, right? There is, there is not an end game that says we're done and, and we celebrate the, the you, you mentioned that the finish line and the goalpost is always going to be moving because there's always an evolution of, of market conditions, growth, uh, what we're trying to achieve, what we're trying to solve for, um, you know, some of the, some of the, the contingencies that get thrown at us, such as, uh, you know, the, the marketplace conditions over the, just the last few weeks. And, and you mm -hmm. have to be able to adapt and change while, continuing the course but recognizing that you'll never be finished right it's a uh, it's an unfinished masterpiece and and hopefully you leave it in better shape than uh than you started with and and pass it on to somebody else that's a great point leaving things in better shape than we found it so that we can continue to pass that on to someone to take it to do even better to do even greater and this is where i want to come back to the idea of longevity you mentioned uh, in your biology classes which i find fascinating 2043 was the horizon line back in the 19 late 80s early 90s that you were hearing and that's what i'm actually hearing now in the present moment is life extension. And this was something that Peter Diamandis uh, spoke about. Uh, Peter Diamandis uh, is hosting Abundance 360 right now and looking at all of the exponential technologies from a lot of different verticals, healthcare, you know, finance, AI, etc. And one of Peter's, you know, things he's, he talks about is like, just don't die. Just don't die of something stupid. Um, and you're probably going to get a lot more extra years than you would have had historically within the next decade, the next two decades. I'm curious, how might this subject, and it's, it's one that can make people feel uncomfortable. I get it because we're talking about life and mortality and really philosophical things that we might not always talk about in financial services, 
But I think it's one that we need to be paying attention to because if life extension is a real thing in the next decade, in the next two decades, how could longevity continue to transform what we bring to the market as banks, as credit unions, as fintechs? So, you know, I've been, I have been thinking about this uh, uh, as an opportunity, quite frankly. What are the opportunities out there as I sit on, on my side of the desk? You know, right now we've got retirement age 65, Social Security kicks in at 65, delayed Social Security at 72. Uh, you got to start, you, I think I'm on the right ages. You got to start using uh, or being penalized on 401k withdrawals at a certain age. Well, shoot. <laughs> If indeed the life expectancy all of a sudden jumps from from where we are in the in the low 70s to the to the mid 90s and potentially beyond, somehow you got to stretch the money and you got to stretch stretch the financial financial aspect of it. Um, and there is going to be a whole host of products, services, deliverables, uh, needs um, that. You know, a generation that is now living to a hundred. Let's just use that as the benchmark. Is is gonna need and, and need access to that that currently hasn't even really been thought much about um, today because of that really compressed timeline. I mean, the, the you've seen these posts all over there. The the scary thing is, you know, you you're, you're born, you go to school, you go to college, you get a job, you work for forty years, and you enjoy a you know a twelve year retirement given you know the the life expectancy. Well. So now is retirement going to be 50 years um, or are we going to see people continuing to work, uh, you know, as uh, as part of uh, an organization? Are we going to see this gig economy? Are we going to see, you know, 85 year olds driving Uber or as uh, solopreneurs at, at some point in, in the future? And, and so how do we service those um, from a financial services standpoint, be it true financial need? Find, you know, we, we profess the need for financial literacy um, nice. in our schools, but do we need financial literacy in our retirement communities as well? Right. Um, well, is it a different story? I, I think it's a, it's an interesting conversation and one that probably needs to, to start today because before you know it, we could be seeing those numbers um, and that life extension. And when, when I think about like my own I'll just speak for myself and my own personal experience. Like I said, you know, 156 is kind of the number that I'm gunning for. Um, and that comes out of thinking in an executive coaching program that I'm a part of called Strategic Coach with Dan Sullivan. And uh, Dan is 78, 79 years old. And he has a plan for himself and for his business until the age of 100. And I think a lot of this, once again, comes back to mindset. If the mind can perceive it, then perhaps there is potential to then really actually go on and achieve it. And so you talk about retirement. I'm a an exennial, so I'm not a true millennial. I'm not a true Gen Xer. But in my mind, I've already made the decision at this present moment in time, based upon my life experience, my exit plan is death. Um, I feel like... As long as my mind is healthy, I will be able to contribute and create value in some way, shape, form, or fashion. I don't really see at this stage of life retiring. And so my wife and I, based upon that decision, have made decisions to experience what others would have maybe waited for retirement to do, for example, travel. We've already made some really nice, big, beautiful trips early on. 
where could a CEO, an executive listening to this, where could they practically maybe facilitate a dialogue here to expand and maybe just open up the minds of their leadership team, perhaps even their boards of directors? Because once again, the future is created based upon the decisions and the conversations that we're having today. There has to be a mindset shift in in the financial services as a as a micro entity, you know, to start thinking just like you described, right? There is still a very traditional mindset that, you know, the notion of living to 156 or the notion of living to 100 or the notion of working until you're 85. Unfortunately, today, I think by by the, the, the conservative wisdom in a lot of these institutions is scoffed at. And, and it's like, well, that's not for us. That's not going to happen for us. Our community, our financial institution, our marketplace is different. And, and mm. I hear that so much is that, you know, we're different. You don't understand our, our financial institution. We have a different makeup and, and it's not, it's, it's you know, it's, <laughs> we, we have a global, <laughs> we have a global makeup of people. It doesn't matter whether you're in, uh, you know, in, in rural Wisconsin or metropolitan, you know, New York, it, it doesn't matter. It's, it's society is now digital um, yeah. and access to to all of the same means and, and tools and resources and your exit strategy is death. That's mine as well. I think retirement used to be that, you know, you most people, it was they worked at a job that they didn't like for 40 years and prayed that they could save enough money so they didn't have to work at that job for the next 12. And and that was the goal. And, and the goals change now. It is, and and they have, and and, and I think you know uh, Dan Sullivan's in the back of my head, you know, and and I started to become more aware of this after I heard this. Um, when one retires, it's almost like you know you're telling the universe that, to to take its parts back, uh, essentially. Right. And and I I was like, wow. I thought about I thought about my grandparents. Um, you know, my grandfather retired, and me, me had like maybe like a ten. 12 year run after that I think about my parents they've retired but I've started to see their health almost like just fall off a cliff it's it's really an interesting point of awareness that I have but then I think about say my father-in-law um he's 85 entrepreneur still he's had a stroke he's had uh two rounds of cancer uh kidney and lung and he's still going to the office every day um he might not be there at 7.30 in the morning like he used to be. He's now rolling in about 10 o'clock, and then he'll stay till about 3 o'clock. But I, I, I really believe it's giving him a sense of purpose. And from all of the research that I've done around like neuroscience, when we lose a sense of purpose, we start to lose ourselves. And that is where I see an opportunity to pretty much bridge this intersection of financial well-being, physical well-being, mental well-being. And if I was to put it right in the middle, it's almost like, you know, having some type of a coach or a guide. And I think about some of the research from like McKinsey and Bain and BCG, and they're all projecting like, you know, financial advisory in 2030. And they're saying by that time, when we get to the, you know, AI and all the machine learning, financial advisors are probably going to be more like quote unquote life coaches at that point in time. And that's where I want to roll back to you in your own personal journey here, you have started to invest in yourself in other ways to continue to create a better future, a bigger future, a sense of purpose for yourself around this health and well-being with 
you know, working to be a certified trainer. What's, what's that journey been like for you here? Yeah, no, I appreciate you asking uh, on that. And, and yeah, as AI continues to evolve, my daughter uh, wants to, to, she's a, she's in college. She wants to be a doctor um, and is certainly cognizant of what AI is going to do to the medical profession. Um, you mm. know, my own future cast is that, that I believe Apple will be the largest healthcare employer in the country in 20 years, um, if not, if not sooner. And, and yeah. you have to start thinking differently. But um, so my own journey on that is, is there is no such thing right now as, as artificial health. And, and I say that tongue in cheek, there's all the artificial, <laughs> but, but, but right now there's not a magic pill that all of a sudden, you know, cures all ills. And so the, the, the health journey uh, is something that each individual personally has to do, right? You can't yeah. you can't let something stupid take you down if it's preventable, and so that's where the health coaching piece of it comes in. You couple that with the financial side of it, and yeah, living to be a hundred or one hundred and fifty six probably scares the heck out of a lot of people because since the time they were twenty five, they were only planning enough money to live to seventy three and a half. Yes. And and so what happens beyond that? Uh, you know, the the vast majority, ninety five plus percent, doesn't have a contingency plan for for extended life. And so um, we have to both coach the individual on how to navigate that because I would imagine very few people want to just say, "No, I'm seventy three, man. I'm checking out." Um, if the opportunity to keep going exists, and so everybody's going to raise their hand and say, "Yeah, no, I don't want to. I don't want to check out. I want to keep going." And so one, we have to coach them on that, but we have to pair that with then how do they sustain? How do they provide? What tools do they need? How do they financial literacy? How do they budget? Uh, how do they invest? Uh, and how can we help them as a uh, as an industry driving you know products that, that they can benefit from? As you mentioned, Apple being having the potential to be the largest healthcare provider in the world. I, I think about myself, like right now I'm, I'm wearing a Garmin watch that is recording data that gets fed into Apple health that gets tied into, um, uh, my, my fitness pal. And it's a lot of information, just like we look at, you know, the transactional data of a person at a financial brand. It's a lot of information. It's a lot of data. I also think about my nutritionist and she has her own branded app that she has built on the back of a third party to provide asynchronous coaching remotely. And that is to me, I think the most interesting potential opportunity here is this coaching aspect because what, what she has done has provided a level of accountability. I think we're more likely to be held accountable by another human being than we are by some type of artificial intelligence because philosophically we know, oh, that's AI. It's like how many times do we set an alarm and ignore the alarm? We could probably do the exact same thing, but I know that through her app, she's checking in on me. However, I think the, the neat thing is some of those check-ins from my level of awareness are automated, but then some of them are actually really real. And even on the automated ones, I'm like, ah, She's there. She's in the back of my head. I got to make sure that I'm doing what I need to do to keep accountable. Where's the accountability piece thinking about just your own 
journey of health and well-being here and applying that through the lens of financial services? Yeah, that's a term that, that we call or I call the credible human link. And mm. and it's it's we are much more likely to act upon something if there is a credible human link associated with it, either from an accountability standpoint or a, a testimonial standpoint and and so or a referable standpoint right and and so yeah. uh, I, I i too have a couple of different coaches um you know that i utilize in in my world both for for personal professional development as well mm -hmm. as uh, physical um development and they're virtual not not virtual intelligence but you know i don't meet them in person right um you know we connect over the phone we text and and we connect over zoom um but it's really an accountability check-in and, uh, you know, there's something innate in us that I don't want to let that person down or I don't want to show up after they get me to commit to an action step and tell them I didn't complete it. Yeah, I like so, that. The, the, what did you call it? The credible human link. Credible human link is uh, is what I've always referenced that as. And, and we see it in our business world, right? If, right. If, if you're going out and looking for, uh, uh, in today's world, a plumber, right? Again, I'll date myself back in the time machine. You used to open up the yellow pages and, yep. and you would look in the yellow pages and you kind of had to go eeny, meeny, miny, mo. And there was a race to how many A's you could put at the beginning of your name. So you showed up first in the yellow pages. Right. <laughs> and and uh, well, now Google soon replaced that. But we've come even further than that now. Nobody uses Google yes. really to look for a plumber. They go on to Facebook or Nextdoor or Instagram or wherever it is and say, who do you know that's a reliable plumber in X, Y, and Z? And we're starting to see now the same level of credible human link with financial services, um, with people seeking financial products and services that they're asking for somebody else to confirm that it's good. That's a great point. And I don't want to go down too far this rabbit hole and start to wrap things up, but I just want to leave the dear listener with this perspective. The idea of what historically was the yellow pages and then became Google search and SEO is now starting to transform once again to where people are connecting with people. They're asking people for advice, for recommendation, for guidance, because, you know, it's human behavior. People trust people. People do business with people. It's just the way that people connect. That's the transformation that continues to happen and will continue to happen going forward. I want to bring all of this back to the idea of financial well-being, physical well-being, mental well-being. What would you recommend for the dear listener, for the leader who is leading their financial brand to future growth? What's one thing, something small that they can commit to do today to maximize either A, their future growth themselves as a leader, or B, the growth of their team, the growth of their organization, or perhaps they're all interconnected. You know, if we're, we're keeping it in the, in the vein of, uh, of, of what we've been discussing, a, a healthy work environment is a lot more productive than an unhealthy work environment. The insurance companies have been touting this for years with, with the wellness programs that are out there. But if you want to maximize productivity, do more with less, however you want to term it, uh, if you have a healthy and motivated uh, work environment uh, and you are a healthy and motivated leader, um, you know, that can, can lead that cry, 
I think you will be amazed with how much more you can accomplish um, if everybody's coming at it with uh, with that type of health and, and mindset. Yeah, so it's, uh, you know, unifying around a common purpose, once again, having a sense of purpose. We're all connecting. We're all working towards a higher goal. I, I Maybe I'll leave the, the dear listener with a practical exercise to follow that up with. Um, I call it the, the exponential future. And I, I want you to write down, and this was inspired by some thinking that Dan Sullivan shared with me. I want you to write down the year that you think that you're going to die. So write that number down. And if I look back in my own files, I think I actually might've wrote down like 74 or 76. Then the follow-up is okay with, you know, advances in technology and healthcare and life extension. Well, how long, how, how many more years do you think you're going to get? What's that new number? And so I remember the first time that I did this, it was 123. And so I was asked to then say, okay, take 123, subtract it from the 74, the 76, and you get X number of years. And I think it was like, you know, probably at that point about 50 years. What would you do with all those 50 years? Write all that down. And then the follow-up to that is, why aren't you doing that today? And what do you need to start creating that future reality based upon the decisions, the actions, the behaviors that when repeated are the habits in the present moment because that's where the habit stacking comes back into play to create the future reality going forward into the future. Steve, this has been a fantastic conversation on the Banking on Health podcast. You know, if we start facilitating these discussions today, maybe not tomorrow, but in the years to come, I think they will create a ripple effect of positivity of good that helps even more people than you are you or I could even begin to perceive and imagine right now going forward if someone is listening they want to connect with you they want to continue the conversation they want to connect what's the best way for them to reach out and say hello LinkedIn is is easy contact point slash Steve Swanston on LinkedIn or or my email is s Swanston at myvelocity.com connect with Steve, learn with Steve. Steve is always sharing really good perspective, really great thinking on LinkedIn. So I highly recommend it and together grow with Steve. Steve, thanks so much for joining me for another episode of Banking on Digital Growth. Had a great time. Thanks, James. As always, and until next time, be well, do good, and make your bed. Thank you for listening to another episode of Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay. To get even more practical and proven insights along with coaching and guidance, visit digitalgrowth.com insider to join a community of growth-minded marketing and sales leaders from financial brands and fintechs. Until next time, be well and do good.